Is um I th- I saw AOC endorse Bernie Sanders. What? Yeah. Today? Let me talk about it on the show. Today? It yeah. This is the B side of our platter, sports fans. Good timing. Word. And I'm singing just By the way, did you get the, the joke last night when you said word and I was like, no, it's actually a Google Doc? <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get jokes. I get yeah. jokes. All right. So, okay, yeah, you were gonna talk about. Uh, I think I think we have political convention discussion. Yeah. So yesterday was the kickoff of the Democratic National Convention. Ordinarily, this would be a pretty huge thing, and there would be thousands of people in a in a big arena that were cheering and making all kinds of noise. Um, as these people came out and gave their speeches. Obviously, it's 2020, so we can't do that. that. So it was all done virtually. A couple interesting things that happened. There were a number of Republicans that actually spoke at the convention and endorsed Biden. Um, John Kasich, or John Kasich, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, and Meg Whitman being three of the most prominent, all coming out and endorsing Biden for president in 2020. Kasich is so unmemorable that I thought when I heard the name, I thought he was Hillary's running mate because I don't remember who Hillary ran with last time. Do you? Kane? Yeah, that sounds right. Who is Kane? Tim Kane. Okay. It? Yeah. I think we should know this. God, I hope in four years I can't remember Kamala Harris. <laughs> we should. No, in eight, eight years, years, because that would mean we'd get Trump for yeah, yeah. I really don't want Trump to get reelected, but God Yeah, let's it. not do that. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah. So interesting, I would guess, I, in my opinion, the theme of the, at least day one, we haven't been able to watch too much of day two because we're doing the show, but. Andrew Yang's on drink. Deal. Um, it's really been a centrist theme um, in the, the, at least day one of the convention which sort of makes sense in that that sort of explains the Kamala pick because she's more centrist. I think that you could say the left is already pretty united. Bernie came out and had a huge speech in which he appealed to people that had voted for him and other candidates uh, previously uh, to really come out and back Biden. That's very different from the tone in 2016 where you had a lot of Bernie supporters that were really very anti-Hillary. And even Bernie himself was sort of lukewarm. Um, so that's a very different thing. Uh, I mean, I think with Kamala on the ticket, I mean, if you think about the, the Trump attack ads that were that were coming out pr- uh, prior to her pick, it was all about, you're going to call 911 and nobody's going to be there. He's going to defund the police. I'm the law and order candidate. I don't think you can do that with Kamala on the ticket. I just don't think that argument works. And I don't think you can come at her and say that she's from the, the radical left of the party either. Which... Just because you've cut off the Republicans' ability to call you something doesn't mean that the people that are on the fence about voting for you are going to like you because you're law and order. Oh. Like, I don't like Trump because he says law and order all the time. Right. And when the Democrats, who are my only oppositional candidate that I get to, to back, go and choose law and order, I'm like, okay, well, fuck. I mean, that was the thing I didn't like about the Republicans. Right. Like, that does just because they can't criticize you of it doesn't mean you get that vote. But I think what they're trying to do specifically in this convention is reach out and appeal to more of those independents and those people that are sort of undecideds, that are more centrist, that 
they think that this platform might be able to to reach them. But Alan, I'm trying to tell you, I'm an independent and centrist kind. Mm-hmm. And it's not working and I, for you. No, that's what I'm saying. Do you yeah. think that... I'm, I'm a pragmatic libertarian, which means as libertarians go, I don't count. Right. So I'm I'm a left-wing Republican or a right-wing Democrat, which sounds like a centrist, yes. right? Okay, so they lost me, but they don't... Like when they say... Like when Trump... So just because Trump will never say you're not law and order doesn't mean that it's going to bring me to vote for them. It just means he can't say that, which I guess is fine. Like, I don't, it's just tactically, I don't, okay, maybe I'm only thinking of myself. I was going to say, do you think, there's a lot of, do you think you're an outlier? I guess so. I, well, you know what? I have to be an outlier. Yeah. I mean, you're the only person I know with your particular politics. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I, okay. But, but just, just consider that what that means is nobody else is thinking rationally or considering like the logic of why you would endorse somebody with your vote that you morally are opposed to. Like if nobody else wants to think like that, that's fine. I feel like you're being insulting to everyone else. (laughs) Not you, the hypothetical that's making that. Right. It's like, I, there probably are a lot of people that don't connect those two dots. I don't like that. But, but since 2016, we've all been more politically active than we've ever been. And so, like, how? I don't know, man. I feel like I interrupted you to say that I'm a centrist. You were you were saying something? You were saying? Um, I was actually just going to go into some quotes that I thought were interesting from from day one. Yeah. So Bernie's speech, as I said, which seemed to be speaking directly to the more uh, left end of the party, wood chopping community. Right. <laughs> Did you see that? No. The wood chopping. You didn't. Oh, dude. He had um, he had cords of wood staged behind him in like a glass and steel case, um, you know, like for a wood fire stove or something, which I'm assuming he has in, in Vermont. Uh, Vermont. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Wait, when yeah, when he like did his the, speech, he had like a wall. Yeah, he had a wall of wood behind him because he did his speech from his house. I watched you know? it live. I don't even remember that. I guess I didn't pay attention to the background, but I, all I saw were the movies. okay. Interesting. Um, did he accept his nomination? Biden? Bernie? Bernie? Uh, no, I don't, I don't believe he... When I turned the TV on today, uh, AOC... I had it muted because I'm repulsed by her. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, don't be rational. What does she have to say? And I rewound it. And all I could get to was the very the very end of her speech. And she said, that's why I seconded the nomination for Bernard Sanders of Vermont. Like if she didn't say Bernard Sanders, I thought it would have been like she meant to say Joe Biden. I don't know because they start with a B. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, by the time this is released, maybe there'll be news that AOC calls for Bernie. But isn't that just how conventions go? Like someone leaves, they, there's nominating speeches, and at the end they vote on one. Yeah, which they were nominating Biden tonight. I believe that was supposed to be finalized. Dude, they're announcing it on Thursday, and they're announcing Kamala on Wednesday. Right. I didn't see the AO. What? Wait. In what? In what? In what campaign do you announce the vice president before you officially announce well, did, the president? No, but they took the vote today, didn't they? I, I'm pretty sure when I saw the outline of the week's events, Thursday was when they announce who their official candidate is, and Wednesday is when they announce who the vice president is. Oh, I have vice president history. Can I tell you something? <laughs> sure. Sure. So, do you know why we have a vice president? 
That way, if the, you know something happens to the president, there's somebody ready to no, step into the you job. Can have, you can have an order of succession. Sure. Like that's an easy answer, right? So when they were doing the constitutional convention, whenever they were deciding the government, sure. um, almost as like an afterthought, literally the, the name of the committee was something like um, like extra materials committee. Like it was called the oops, we didn't <laughs> wrap up all the loose ends right. committee. And one of the issues they ran into was the mathematical problem of voting and how it would actually play out. They were like early game theorists. And what they realized was the with the electoral system and the two votes that they thought that, there, that one vote would go to the candidate and that their second vote would go to like a local guy that they liked the most and that there'd just be chaos and that, you know, there'd be like 15 way ties or whatever. Mm. So they created the vice president so that the electoral college or each unit of electorals. So I think initially they had two votes each to give. The, the, oh, okay. The, yeah. And the they electors. were afraid that they'd give their second. Yeah, the electors. That was the fucking right. word. Um, yeah, they were afraid that they would give their second vote some to random. like a local favorite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then by chance, some all all of them would pick some local cow, <laughs> and they'd have a cow as president. You know, uh, yeah. So so they were like, shit, we can't let that happen. So uh, here we'll call something the vice president, and like almost as an afterthought, the vice presidency has existed ever since too. Like in, until we go, well, that guy was here. Maybe he should keep running. <laughs> wow, which is terrifying about getting. This is again like I don't want the. 47th president of the United States to be Kamala Harris. I just don't. Like when we were just talking about candidates, she was the one candidate that I was like, I oh, God, I hope it's not her. Like, the, like I told you I'm a libertarian. I wanted Bernie Sanders to be the candidate. I, you know, I think all politicians are horrible liars. And even if I don't agree with his politics, he's the only one that I believe. Like he's the only candidate I've ever listened to and gone, fuck man, you've been saying the same thing since the jump and you obviously seem to believe it. Whereas Joe Biden has said the exact opposite of several of his points. And don't even get me started on fucking Trump. He can't keep the same opinion throughout the day. Like I, I was excited about Bernie Sanders because I believed him, not because of anything that I thought he did accomplished. Just, and here we are. Here we are. How did I get here? I'm so sorry. Bernie actually, you know. Didn't you have quotes? I do, I do. <laughs> Bernie, though, I think his role in the DNC, at least, has been to sort of try, attempt to unite the party, um, specifically the left wing of the party, and bring them towards the center. Um, and that was sort of the, the goal of his speech last night. He had an interesting quote. He said, uh, Nero, Nero fiddled while Rome burns. Jesus, let me start that over. <laughs> It's also factually inaccurate. He I know. probably played the liar, but he didn't fiddle. The, the fiddle didn't exist. He played the liar, and I don't think he was playing that while Rome literally burned. But okay. Nero fiddled while Rome burned Trump golfs. That's That was his quote. Michelle Obama was the closer of the uh, Monday, uh, the first day of the convention. Uh, she, she did, uh, I thought, a really good job with her speech. She, as usual... Oh, I heard clips of it. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. She, as usual, was able to kind of score political points without... Getting in the yeah, fray. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of hinting at it, like, here's where you're stuck with, yeah. and this is what... So yeah. one of her quotes, if you yeah. think things can't get worse, they can. Vote like your life depends on it. Uh, she, and I'm paraphrasing here, I didn't get this exact quote I should have, but she said that, basically what she said was, look, Trump's been in office for four years. 
he's clearly shown us that he's just not capable of doing the job. Um, and then she said... It, that was the one I'd heard. Yeah, and she said, it is what it is. Sort of hark- Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Which was really funny, hearkening back to Trump being interviewed and asking about all the American deaths due to the coronavirus, and he said it is what it is. Now, today... Uh, Clinton also brought up that line, which I, I think is going to be sort of a recurring theme, it looks like, in speeches for this convention. Um, yeah, that's it for the quotes I had. I thought the closing music was a little strange uh, yesterday, but I don't know. It was just the, the way it was sung, but I guess that guy is really famous. I don't know him. Billy Porter. He sang, uh, no, he sang For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield, which I that's, really like that song. Children, what's that sound? Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, But it was so weirdly done. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing. I was like... 30 seconds. And I was like, eh, I'm, I'm. Isn't Billy, I, Billy Eyelash going to be there? I think Billy Eyelash is playing. Is it Eyelash? I'm pretty sure it's Eyelash. I know. <laughs> is she really? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. I guess. Okay. So you had some stuff. Uh Oh, yeah. I mean, just I, I had some notes when you told me you were going to talk about the convention. It was just. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, just I keep having this thought that I want to say on the show that like people complain about specific aspects within the Democratic Party. And I'm like, it's the biggest of big tent. Like, you know, you get the idea of like a big tent. It's, you know, it covers a lot of different stripes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, big tent organizations are things like Walmart. You know, they might be white people, but it's all the white people. <laughs> like but like the the democratic party is the biggest of big tent so you're going to have a huge spectrum within that um i just think that you know like when you were talking about bernie trying to bring wings of the party together, together right. to the centrists you know it makes me think of that whole you know big tent idea you know you say that and i hadn't i hadn't really thought of that too much but i, I think you're right i mean so if you compare it to the only other major political party in the country I would say that there's definitely a, a broader spectrum of people in the Democratic Party than there is the Republican. But If you're the type of person that would be worried about seeing the Democratic Party, excuse me, the Republican Party get stronger and, you know, more power, more uh, influential, uh, you know, pay attention to how big of a tent the Republican Party is spreading, though. Um, yeah. it It's mostly a function of them being in power and I'm I'm not in agreement with what I'm saying, but in general, power is cool. So there is some influence of them being the party in power and um, some mimicry throughout culture. So, you know, I say right now that the Democratic Party is the biggest of big tent parties, but I got to say, I think I've seen a lot trending towards Republican side of things, which I'm not completely easy with just because I don't like parties, you know, so. Sure. Uh, that's it on that. I have a couple other notes about Kamala, but Jesus Christ, I'd like to talk about something else. You had, you'd mentioned the polls were tightening, um, and not just my pants when I get a splinter. The <laughs> CNN shows a poll with only a four gap, a four percent gap nationally. I'm assuming Biden taking the lead in that. Right. Yeah, but it's it's interesting because that poll is kind of an outlier with every other poll that came out this last week. Well, what's the what's the plus or minus? Like, I mean, it's got to be close to four, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's three, um, okay. but the I'll take every other every other poll is somewhere between the the like eight, nine, ten percent range, pretty much. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that's that's huh. kind of interesting. And I, I dug a little bit. I didn't note any real reasoning for why they thought that was the case. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, polling in 2016 was way off. Um, yeah. 
And so it's kind of hard to rely on polls so much you know, or think that they're super accurate, especially this far out from the election. Um, although at this time we, we have the, the candidates versus each other. Polling where it's like, will you vote for Trump or whoever is X in there is typically super unreliable. When you have right, a name, X is like I'm imagining my dog as right. like someone I could vote for. Right. So we now have a name for who it's going to be. So the, you know the poll should be a little bit better, but still, you know, hard to rely on. Yeah, I I don't remember if it's the New York Times or somewhere else, but they were talking about the way that, well, in general, I think me and you should have a conversation about preference falsification. Um, I think those two words make sense when you hear them independently, but together, it's like, what was that? Preference falsification. It's the concept of you not disclosing what you really think and getting in a voting booth and expressing something other than what you tell your friends. And that became evident in the 2016 elections. And that's one of the biggest things they're trying to counter for when taking polls. Do you know what they're actually doing? Yeah, there's a couple. One of the major things actually that they changed in the way they're polling now versus 2016 is education weighting. So specifically with phone surveys, which are more accurate than than online surveys. Which is hilarious. Well, okay, clearly probably more accurate than online. But Joe Rogan's had a bit forever about how like, what idiot is answering the phone and saying yes to a survey? Like that, like what data do you want? Like, yeah. That's interesting you say that. So, so, (laughs) so, one of the reasons they're saying that the, the polls were so off in 2016 was they, the pollsters failed to adjust their samples to adequately, adequately represent voters without a college degree. Voters with a college degree are far likelier to respond to telephone surveys than voters without one. So actually opposite of what Rogan said is that the people that actually tend to respond to phone surveys tend to be people with a degree. So you is end that up- because they have like higher paying jobs and possibly more spare time? I, I could agree with that. The article didn't really go into that. This is, okay. yeah, but that's, I guess, statistically, that's what you get. Um, so basically in 2016, that account. Michael Phelps is on drink. <laughs> in 2016, if they had adjusted for college degrees, uh, there would have there been a 4% difference in the polling. Oh. Which basically counts for everything honestly yeah um so they they're doing that uh this year they are accounting for that the other problem with the um the online surveys typically more democrats respond to so it tends to Mm -hmm. lean left so you kind of have to adjust for that as well any reason as to why uh i didn't see anything in the article about that no but they are accounting for that uh, this year so you know, they, they run these things through all kinds of algorithms. And it's weird because you'll see a poll and it'll say they surveyed like 1,300 people. And you're like, well, how the hell are they getting a, a survey with 1,300 people? How is that telling us what the country thinks or or, 13, yeah. or the state, right? Um, but apparently with all the algorithms and all the data that they have, uh, they're actually able to make pretty decent predictions. Um, and now they're, they've updated the algorithms so they're even better. So you, essentially you're saying we can kind of trust those polls maybe a little bit more. A little bit but more. that 4% from CNN is kind of notable considering that the rest of the polls are closer to 11. Yeah, that is a, that's a real outlier right. in all the Pay polls. attention to that as we get closer to when that matters. Right. Uh, dude, honestly, if the Durham report has in it what they expect to have, what the QAnon people expect to have in it and everybody else and Obamagate's real, then 
Trump's going to lock Joe Biden in prison and not let him run, just like every other dictator does. I don't think that's likely. But if that report comes out and it says what they think it says, we have a whole different show. Like, none of this matters. Polls don't even mean anything. Like, you literally won't have a candidate in there. And guess who will fill it in? Hillary Clinton. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of binary arguments, let's have a quick session of Dustin Explains Things Poorly, and then we'll get into one, at least one more topic, and then I have some stupid questions for you. Okay. I sent you an article by a guy named Greg Gutfield. It's an article from 2017, and really, from what I could tell, it was published in Fox News. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of odd because it kind of seems to be an article that talks about having more of an open mind, which really isn't synonymous with Fox News. I'm right. not picking on the right. I'm picking on Fox News. Right, right. Uh, so... He starts the article like this. Very often, people who don't like your ideas or maybe fear that you are right will pull this trick on you. They'll try to place you in the prison of two ideas. So that's the, that's the concept, is the prison of two ideas. They set up an issue as having only two positions. You're either for or against X. And then they place you on the side that sounds most evil. So, for example, you might say, or the person might say, you're either for climate change legislation or you want the planet to die. The the author goes into a few more examples, but, you know, it's like it's literally how they came up with pro-life. It's like, well, if you're not pro-life, you must be horrible. I mean, are you anti-life? So it's just it's just a framing argument. And then he goes on to go through a few examples of how. Uh, well, I actually thought there was a few lines in here that I thought were curiously worded, but that's actually my second point on this article. We'll get into that after we talk about it more. He says something in the article he says, but we allow ourselves to become inmates in our own two-idea prison by appointing something called an idea warden. So he brings up a couple examples of ways people frame arguments as, you know, being on one side or the other of, of X and, you know, how you can say this is the person that we can turn to as the moral arbiter of that. And as long as that person says this about that, I don't have to think. And then if that person changes their mind, that doesn't matter because I follow what that person says and then I can still be logically consistent because it's not about the idea, it's about what the warden says. So in this manner, things can shift all the time and you can be you know, good or bad depending on who you're talking to and how they want to frame you. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you have some ideas already? Do you want to get into it a little bit further? I think the only way to get into it really further is to bring up examples of it. And then if we do that, I'm going to want to talk about the way the article was written. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you sent me that article and I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about it. I mean, I think part of what we do on the show is try not to do that, right? Um, right. A lot of times when people have that, you know, sort of binary argument, it's all about sensationalism. Um, and, and, and painting the other side as an evil person or evil entity, whatever the case might be, as opposed to actually weighing um, the arguments in question. I, I dislike binary arguments. You know, I, I think a lot of times we're offered false choices um, and saying, well, you're, to the article's point, you know, you're either for this or you're for that. Well, no, I can be for neither of those things. I can be for something completely different, you know. Um, two things can be equally true also, um, and binary arguments tend to forget about that. Like, like two, two things can be true at the same time um, that are, seem contradictory but aren't in, in reality. Um, <laughs> I hate zero-sum games and binary arguments because I only like things that add up to more than one. That was my... Uh, 
that was my quip. Well, I, I like that you said zero-sum <laughs> games in general. I yeah. think that, you know, going into the last election, if you took everything off of the table about both of the candidates, Hillary and Trump, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump, if you only left it to the way that they spoke and the things they talked about and the way that they talked about problem solving, like if somebody said, well, what would you do about this? And they told you what they'd do about this. Donald Trump sees the world as zero sum. If someone has 50 of something, if there's, you know, there's always 100% of something available. So if somebody has 50% of it, that means the most he can ever have is 50%. And that bothers him. But the world is not zero sum. There's an infinite number of possibilities that it only takes being creative to discover. And you can find win-win mm -hmm. solutions to every interaction. You know, that it's just so frustrating to see a leader that that uses zero sum. I mean, leadership should be the people that think of creative solutions, not get stuck in that trap, right? The whole point of the State Department is to work with other countries throughout the world and try to come to agreements, compromises, etc., to not see the world as a zero-sum game, right? Do, uh, do you diplomacy think that this administration sees the State Department in that way? No, of course not, But okay. which is why so many diplomats have come out against the, the administration. I mean, diplomacy is all about anything but a zero-sum game. That's the whole point of it. Right. Everybody, we can both win and be happier if right. we try this. Exactly. Well, speaking of which, that goes right into our last news subject before I get into some really stupid questions, so don't take me too seriously here. Um, <laughs> in the news today, in the news of the week, probably, honestly, could have been our headline story. Yep. Alan, peace, peace in our time. Mm. A huge, a huge peace deal in the Middle East. Alan, peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East. Who did it? The UAE and Israel have agreed to normalize oh. diplomatic relations. Um, oh. Part of so well, that's good. Israel gave up. So Netanyahu had been for some time saying that they were going to annex. I, I'm sorry, that's a little disappointing. I thought we had peace in the Middle East. I didn't realize it was that Israel and the UAE became allies. That's that's it. That's it. Although, um, okay, what did Israel give up? So Netanyahu for some time had been saying that they were just going to annex part of the West Bank in Palestine. That was a, that was a huge that was huge news. It was huge news because basically peace talks broke down between Palestine and Israel, and so Netanyahu was like, "Well, fuck it, we're not going to have peace talks. We're just going to take it." Um, so that had been a huge sticking point for other um, countries in the region, um, and. So Israel gave up that. They said, okay, we're not going to do that. And in exchange, they were able to get these diplomatic relations with the UAE. Now, what this is really about, though, is sort of the changing dynamics in the Middle East and Iran. I mean, Iran is really at the center of this because it seems like some of these other... No, 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 no. Israel and the UAE are at the center of this, Alan. No, no. They, they're only at the center of it because Iran is a, is a mutual enemy that they are more concerned about. So is about. this a peace deal with Iran? No, no. Why are you talking about Sorry. Iran then? So, because, <laughs> so the UAE considers is, Iran more of a... Is Iran the A in the UAE? I know it's like a different language. No, that's the United Arab Emirates. None of those start with an I. <laughs> so, so the UAE has made a decision that Iran is more of a threat to them than Israel is, basically. And also, by aligning themselves with Israel, they get access to all of Israel's technology. The U.S. can now sell um, more technical weapons to the UAE because 
uh, we don't sell weapons to people that are uh, not on good terms with Israel. Um, so, and what... what are they, they're not going to do anything with those weapons. Oh, you mean like, I don't know, blow up Yemen or something? I, so, it seems like... No, we're, we're <laughs> reflu- we are refueling the planes that Saudi Arabia is using to blow up Yemen. Don't right. get that confused. That's right, a right. different story. Different thing, different thing. Uh, it seems likely that some other Middle Eastern countries might follow, like Qatar, Oman, and uh, was it Bahrain? Maybe the, the they were at they were at the meeting that allegedly set this whole thing up. I'll get to that. Right, the Saudis would probably be the last to sign on. Although obviously that would be they're big. already there. They're doing like no. But if Israel Saudis and the Saudis and... came together, that would be a huge thing. This is not good. But for But they Iran. already are because they both will essentially i mean saudis don't jump when we tell them to but okay i mean it it's i get that the saudis and israel don't have normalized relations right but they both work with the u.s True. so they both are using u.s weapons or in the case of israel a lot of their own but the Saudis are, I mean, that was the whole thing when that journalist got chopped into pieces was reporters asked the president about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, we had a great relationship with Saudi Arabia. We just sold them billions of dollars of weapons. It was like, wait, did you say the quiet part out loud? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think that there's like a big fear about Saudi Arabia invading Israel anymore. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Yeah. I think so. Palestine clearly is, is a big loser in this because previous yeah. previous well, to lost this. all their leverage. Right. Previous to this, it had basically been the stance of all the other Arab nations that, look, unless there's a two-state solution between Palestine and Israel, we're not going to normalize relations. Now, clearly, that's off the table because all they had to do was say we're not going to annex part of the West Bank. So the Palestinians sort of hung out to dry. Iran can start to feel the region sort of closing in on it, which, you know, they're already, you know, a shit show with um, COVID uh you know, COVID being a huge problem for them with the U.S. Um, sanctions. Uh, sanctions really damaging their economy, um, which is concerning because now they're the they're the wounded tiger in the corner, and wounded tigers in corners tend to do well, bad things. Okay, so imagine being a wounded tiger in the corner, and now all of a sudden, deals are being made that normalize relations with Israel, which is a good thing. Alan, did you know you can now vacation in the UAE if you're an Israeli? Sweet. You couldn't do that before. Right. I'm saying that flippantly as a joke because I really think that that's not as important as the fact of all the other shit we're bringing up. But that is important. Mm-hmm. It is like you couldn't like it, it was not accept. You couldn't go there if you were born in Israel. Which by the way, Dubai, which is in the UAE, is one of the financial headquarters of the Middle East. I mean, that's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not dismissing that. Right. I'm just saying, okay, look, I'm going to cut to the fucking chase. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. This is not a peace deal. Like, essentially, if I'm tracking right, the U.S. skirted talking to Palestine. U.S. and Israel skirted skirted talking to Palestine and instead talked to the UAE and other Sunni Arab countries that wanted to unite against Iran. Mm -hmm. And they made an agreement and a bunch of other guys are going to join them. So the reason I interrupted you is to say, imagine being a wounded tiger in the corner. That's one thing that that wounded tiger will eventually lash out. But it's another thing to be a wounded tiger and look at. All of the other, I don't know what uh, hum, what hunts tigers, I guess humans, but all the other Predators. not wounded tigers, right. like sharpening their teeth next to you. Like this is, this, this isn't a peace deal. This is a reshuffling of alliances. And 
it's a remarkable reshuffling of alliances. It is remarkable. This is this is not peace. It's a shuffling of the power structure in the Middle East, which and, as more dominoes fall, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's because it's it's creating an arms race because. The issue is everyone's afraid that there's going to be a nuclear Iran, just like they've been saying since the 70s. And they're just as close as they've been saying since the 70s. And all the other things that they say they were going to do also haven't happened. You know, we don't want a fucking war in Iran, but it's all... Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to bring this up. Um, Who's the general? General Grievous. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld. General Wesley Clark. Deputy oh. Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who used used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, "Sir, you gotta come in. You gotta come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no." He says, you, "We've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq." This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, "We're going to war with Iraq. Why?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> he said, "I guess they don't know what else to do." So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. Do you want to guess how many of those countries we've either been at war with or they've had their own civil wars and had their governments toppled in the meantime? Pretty much. Uh, it, pretty much all of them much except for of Iran. Them. Right, right, yeah. And just look at our diplomacy without, just with an open mind, just look at our diplomacy and everything we do leads to bellicose relations with Iran. It's just, it's all, it's the only thing that's been consistent from Bush through Trump. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Honestly, I had a whole lot else to say. Okay. The only other thing I was going to say is the, the New York Times did a podcast this morning talking about the dinner that set up that uh, that peace deal. Apparently, the... Apparently... The head diplomat for the UAE happened to be is, at a restaurant. He has a lot of leverage despite being the the ambassador to a relatively small country and it's because he hobnobs with reporters and other diplomats which is cool you're using your influence yeah. um it's his job yeah yeah it's exactly his job so it, it's how you get non-zero sum solutions Correct. um i find this what i'm about to describe to be very suspicious and the way the flippant way that the new york times which is a family-owned company uh, reported this, it made me kind of think like, do you fucking have something to gain from like this? Like you're making it really fun. So I guess this reporter went to dinner with the ambassador to the UAE and other diplomats, including um, the, I, I went back and listened to this episode right before we recorded because I thought it stood out. It was weird. It was someone in the Trump administration who has like final say on policy with Iran. That was another person at that dinner. Uh, and uh, Bahrain, the, the ambassador to Bahrain, and this reporter who works for the New York Times. 
Um, he got permission to tell this story once this peace deal came out. So uh, the night they were at that restaurant, Bibi Netanyahu was going to be there. In fact, the waiter or the owner of the restaurant came up to their table and said, we have another guest here tonight. It's Mr. Netanyahu. And uh, someone slipped away from this party and went over to Netanyahu's table and said, you know, it'd be really, it'd be lovely if you came over and talked with us, you know, I think it would be a good step towards whatever. Um, I just want to pause there and say, I'm supposed to believe that the prime minister of Israel is going to be allowed to have anyone come up to him at, and while he's in a foreign country at a dinner. Like, I'm sure if it's another diplomat, there is a way to do so. But that already I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure that the ambassador that invited you, the reporter, to this dinner wasn't in fact showing you a story? Uh, because sure enough, a little bit later, um, and I can't emphasize enough the way that they were telling the story was very theatrical. Uh, so uh, a little bit later, Netanyahu walks through the door in their private room, and uh, you know they, you know, he's not going to sit around and have dessert with them. But their conversation ended up with. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu's wife, I don't remember her name, Lady Bird Netanyahu, <laughs> inviting that, saying, you know, you should, to the, to the ambassador to UAE, you should come to Israel and come see us. Apparently, that's the genesis of this whole thing. Dude, if something doesn't sound more like a planted story for a reporter, I don't know what the fuck does. Like, I know we already had a conspiracy drop, but doesn't that sound slightly suspicious to you? It is a lot of stars aligning in, in a... Yeah, I I can see that. I didn't I didn't take the interview or the uh, the podcast from the New York Times to be as flippant, I guess, as, as you saw it. Um, I just thought that, well, I, that you know I didn't really take it flippant until he goes. While this agreement is really bad for Palestine, it's very important that we are talking about how it realigns the region against Iran. I'm like, did you just run through Palestine getting fucked and then say that it's important that you're going to go to war with Iran eventually? Because that's the whole story here. Yeah. I get it. Israel has a right to defend themselves. I just don't understand why it needs to be everyone going to war with Iran. Like, Yeah. I mean, so from the, the those other Arab countries that are likely to also normalize relations with Israel, their main issues with Iran are obviously the Sunni-Shia divide, or Sunni-Shia divide, um, and then the fact that it's an Islamic regime, which most of these countries are, you know, royal families that are running them. They don't want that. You know, that's a that's a challenge to their royal power. Um, so they don't want to see that. So that's their issue with Iran. And, and now it appears they're forming a, a larger coalition to include Israel against Iran, which certainly seems like the, the possibility of, you know, of a hot war is, is increasingly higher. We could end up with a Pax Romana, which is the idea of Rome conquers its region through war and calls it peace. If that's the case, I hope it's very quick. I, yeah. I, that doesn't seem like a good outcome to me either. <laughs> it's not. Um, Dude, I, I really hate to be a downer. Last week, Friends of mine that have listened to the show said, I really thought Kamala was a good choice until I heard you. And this week, I think they're going to be like, hey, I thought we had peace in the Middle East. And you're such a <laughs> you're, all, you're out here busting people's bubbles all day. <laughs> all, I'm trying to say, all I'm trying to say is like, in two years, we're going to be going to war with Iran and you're going to go, how the fuck did we get here? And it's going to be this conversation. Yeah. I mean, it certainly appears a possibility. Yeah. 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 In my estimation, it's more likely now than before. And 
you know, something we're not talking about is uh, a conversation that came out of this was people saying, should Trump get a Nobel Prize for it or should Kushner, um, which I, again, like Nobel Prize for that or fucking his daughter. I'm not sure. Um, but one of the two, I, you know, I don't care. Like, who the fuck cares? Like, didn't Bob Dylan get a Nobel Prize? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Like, give him two Nobel Prizes, one for that Korea deal and one for this. <laughs> the Korea deal really worked out. Like, you know, I don't care. I mean, so you like, can't why, take it why away. Why even debate that? Like, who cares? Sure. I, I would agree that you can't take away from him that uh, his administration was key in this happening. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. You have to give them credit for that. However, it, it's a quote-unquote peace deal. It, yeah. It's it's not – I don't – Are don't... you saying that's how the BBC was reporting it? No, actually, they were – they were pretty no, no. That it that it was quote unquote peace deal. Yes, yes, and yeah. they were heavily talking about the Iran issue and also which, admittedly, the, the BBC is state media from Britain, the country that literally told the people of that region to fight against each other, and whoever wins, they'll support. But, okay. <sighs> yeah, you know, all those fun colonialist uh, skeletons in the closet. Yeah, you want to move on to Dustin's questions, or Please. you want to talk about things in the closet more? No, no. Right. Let's. Okay, I have. I just rapid fire. Ready? Ready. What does the J in Donald J. Trump stand for? Do you know? Juicy. Because he's got that wet ass <laughs> pussy. That's why. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm have to censor that. <laughs> the wet ass p word. No, nobody wants to hear that. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Uh, do do you know what the J and Donald I'm I sure, Donald J Trump? Blah, did you look it up? I'm, no, I didn't. I'm sure I knew at some point. I don't remember it all right now. John. Oh, that's so that's kind of a letdown. Isn't it such a letdown? Yeah, that's kind of boring. Like, doesn't it seem like it should be like Jefferson? Like, like John? Je- like, who the fuck? Well, I guess like if it's a family name, like I can understand it, but it's just like wait, so you could actually call him Don John. Oh, <laughs> fuck! I'm totally doing that now. <laughs> Nice. Speaking of fun with letters, yes. how do you pronounce the peanut butter spelled J-I-F? Jif. I, I always want to call it GIF. Well, how do you pronounce G-I-F? Jif. You, uh, I can pronounce that GIF. Yeah. Why? Cause it's a... No, wait, I say GIF. Yeah. Wait, what did I say? You said Jif. No, I, I do both GIF. I do Jif. So GIF, the graphic interface... Right has supplanted anything that makes a GIF sound like that because that whole debate came up is is it GIF or GIF right. and it's not wait fuck what do I call it I call it a GIF because GIF is peanut butter yeah GIF but when I when I go to make my my mouth shape out GIF to say peanut butter I go it's not GIF it's GIF and I say <laughs> GIF <laughs> uh, alright that was fun yeah. Um, did Donald Trump really? Uh, sorry. Did Don John really say <laughs> Thailand instead of Thailand? He did like twice. It was a uh, the what's the washing machine company? Waterpool? Weather? What? Whirlpool. Whirlpool. He was speaking at Whirlpool, and yeah, he did say. He said that Thailand. was a joke in one of the Hangover movies, right? I, I think so. I, that was a Zach Galifianakis joke. Like the joke was, look at this. Re- look at this r word he's so stupid he calls it thailand and we laughed and slapped our knees and like rolled around the movie theater getting sticky butter all over our shirts that yeah but when the president did it yeah yeah so i get you know what it's probably like one of those like dumb and dumber things where it's like 
like if you showed a kid Dumb and Dumber now, they wouldn't lose their mind laughing at it like we did yeah. because all the humor has been built off that. Right. It's just not funny when pre- when Trump did it because we already saw Zach do it. <laughs> sure. I mean, he said it like twice that way, and then it the third time I think he said it, he said it correctly. So I don't know if he had an earpiece in and somebody corrected him or what. But he Wait, did. Do you think people are saying his speech to him and he's repeating it? I possibly, but he. That's what you just implied. He mysteriously got it right like the third or fourth time he said it. So I I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, This last one was just a total random thought today. Uh, I heard somebody complaining about the left and how they are always so organized and how they get like petitions together and how like you'll never beat the left because like they're too organized or something. And I was like, Excuse me, didn't we not have a Super Bowl halftime for like the rest of our lives because a bunch of moms wrote in that they saw Janet Jackson's tits? Like <laughs> what, a nipple. Like, a nipple. It, it was a conservative yes. fucking. It was a Christian conservative movement Christian that right, organized yes. the letters that wrote them. Am I wrong? You remember that, yeah. right? Because oh, it that, fucked that radio actually, too. Like we're huge say, fans of radio. That's a bunch of FCC stuff where all of a sudden all these radio shows had to just walk on eggshells and couldn't say right right wingers are so crazy they're like (laughs) well we'll just never be as organized as the left they've always been better organized than us like we'll never have it's like mother like mm -hmm. yeah no that's not a thing yeah all right well i'm kind of out of steam after that one we got to have something else all right let's talk about what we've been consuming yes oh jesus yeah let's talk about i I forgot about that whole segment (laughs) (laughs) so as i said on saturday um i got off a little early and I actually had some plans that fell through, so I was like, fuck it, let's do movie night uh, or movie afternoon, whatever it was. I actually ended up watching like three movies back to back to back. Nice. Um, the first movie I found was called Cosmos. It's on Prime. Yeah, Carl Sagan did it. No, see, God damn it. That's what everybody says. <laughs> it's spelled with a K. Every time I say that, so it's. Well, they shouldn't have named it after a famous television show. <laughs> I agree. So I actually was thinking about what different names you could call it, and this was my. The best name I came up with was uh, Three Guys in a Volvo Station Wagon. Oh, that sounds fun. So the reason, Wait, the reason I say clothed? that is this movie is about two hours long. And I, I would guess 85% of the movie is Three Guys in a Volvo Station Wagon. Now, I say that, and you might think, there's no way that can be interesting. You're wrong. It was fucking riveting. It was a great movie. I fucking loved it. Um, it is sort of similar, well, at least theme-wise, to The Vast of Space. Or The Vast of... Yeah, Vast of Space. Um, Vast of Night. Vast of Night, okay. Uh, very similar. It's it's about aliens, I'll say that. Um, and also very similar in the way that they sort of build up to the finale at the end. Um, but it's set in present day. It's set in the UK. It is filmed primarily inside this car, which... As a viewer, at least for me, you sort of feel the confinement just because the shots. Did they keep the camera inside the car, or do you think they rigged it with the camera outside the windows? Or I would imagine they rigged it. I I think it'd be really hard to keep it inside the car. Um, It didn't feel like they were like right there, but it did feel okay. Yeah, and so much of this movie is unspoken dialogue. There's so much like facial. Things happening. Like fa- Tom Hardy yeah. in every movie he wears a mask. No, no, no. Just the, the facial opposite. the yeah. opposite. Like yeah. the facial expressions say so much. And the first half is just filled with so much tension between these three guys in this car, and you don't know why or really what's causing hmm. it. Uh one of them's an astrophysicist, one of them's an engineer, and the other 
is a scientist as well. He uses radio telescopes to look at space. Um, so there's these three guys, really intelligent guys, and they're just out there observing things, right? Um, the middle of the movie, there's kind of a a bro moment, I would say, or even multiple bro moments that kind of go on for a little while. Um, but I didn't mind them. I, I kind of liked them. Some people might say they went too far. I don't know. Uh, but Kiss each other? No, although for a while I did have some questions like, is what? what Are they going to kiss each other? You don't know that you don't understand what the tension yeah. is caused by. Sure. Um, and it, that oh, they used to kiss each other. It seems like that's a possibility. And 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 he was supposed to keep kissing him. <laughs> Potentially, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, like this. Anyways, fantastic movie. I give it like a four and a quarter. Four. That's really good. Yeah, uh, I'll check it out. I, I highly highly recommend it. The other movies I you I said you said you asked me if Ronan still holds up. Did you also I watch Ronan? And I. Ronin was one of my favorite movies back, you know, in the '90s, whatever. Uh, dude, it holds up. It's on. It, so it's on Prime. I, I actually think it might have aged well for me because at the time I didn't have the attention span for it, and oh, all yeah. the silent shots in it really didn't uh, grab me. Um, I, I appreciated it. Like I liked it. Or I should say the opposite. I liked it, but I don't think I appreciated. I like it. it. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, it held up really well. It's on Prime. You can watch it for free. This movie is also oh, sweet. on Prime. You can watch it for free. Don't type in... Wait, which one? Cosmos? Cosmos. Don't type in The Cosmos because then you'll get the, the series about space. It's just... I thought it was always just called Cosmos. No, it was The Cosmos. So you have to type in huh. Cosmos um, huh. and you'll get this movie. Is is The an article or something else? I think it's an article. Or is it a participle? No, it's an article. I'm pretty sure. Right. Uh, I think participles happened in the past. Sure. No, otherwise you wouldn't put past in front. Okay, sorry, what? I also watched uh, To Catch a Thief, uh, which is an old movie with Cary Grant in it. Which Was he on acid? <laughs> he was definitely not on acid, no. Noted acid taker. Really? Grant. I did not know yeah. that. I love Cary yeah. Grant. Um, Me too. Anyways, it was a good movie I hadn't seen for a while. It's about... Didn't you tell me a Cary Grant line from a oh, show? Yeah. Like I said something. Can you remember it? Don't. Do you know who do? You remind, you remind me of remind a man, me of the man with the power. The man who? The, the, the power of what? Power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? Who? What? You remind me of a man. Who? <laughs> the man with the power. Of, of what? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. What? Remind me of a man. No. Okay, yeah. All right. It's repeat and repeat. Okay. Yes. Wow, you really did remember that. <laughs> I watched that. He said it like six times in that clip, and I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I get it, but I can't remember it. That's uh, The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, I think, that movie that you're talking about. Anyways, nice. yeah. so that is the extent of my media diet. Cosmos, check it out. Worth your time. Um, I think you'll love it. What was the other one, the Cary Grant movie I talked over? To Catch a Thief. What's it about? He's a former cat burglar who is now... Steals cats. <laughs> who has... No, he steals from cats. Right, right. So he's kind of... Uh, He's not doing that anymore, but he's being framed as if... Uh, so somebody's starting to do robberies again and make it look like mm. him. So he has to kind of go back in the game and try to figure out who it is that's doing it. Hey, do you remember the phrase turd burglar? Yeah. Who steals turds? I know. Didn't even make sense. No. Like, I'm pretty sure it was like a gay slur, but it was like... Was it? It was always just funny. I mean, I think so. I don't even know. I just remember it. I, I mean, it, it didn't make sense. Yeah, it, <laughs> like gay guys <laughs> taking poops out of butts. That's not what's happening. 
I watched I watched I watched a lot this week. Uh, as I mentioned, I watched Alien, fell asleep right. just because I've seen it a brazillion times. Uh, really good though because I woke back up and finished it. Um, God, it's always remarkable how much of Sigourney Weaver's butt is out and how little of her butt there is. Like, you're I'm talking about the end of the movie. Yeah. I hadn't thought of where it that she's way, wearing but, like yeah like it's not even a thong it's it's full like spread underwear and there's a lot of her it's like it stops halfway up her ass and I think we were all like really turned on as kids and I am not objectifying her with what I'm saying I'm saying that's weird because it like it just all felt inappropriate and watching it older I'm like. The amount of butt I'm seeing, but they're not being butt, considering like modern preferences, was so remarkable. That wasn't going to be what I brought up. Uh, speaking of objectifying women, DC Comics did a movie called Birds of Prey, where uh, Harlequin, I, I'm pretty sure this was like a feminist anthem movie. I didn't make it past the opening scene, not because I, I went to it because I thought it would be a kind of cool movie. I was aware of its theme. Um it was just really bad. Like I, I watched the opening scene and I was just like, this is this is really, really terrible. First of all, it's got Harley Quinn. It's about Harley Quinn. She's the main character. So you have to listen to her talk in that terrible, like Long Island accent that she used in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> like you're just like, oh, my God, I'd rather die than listen. I'd rather listen to Dr. Girlfriend from Venture Brothers than her. <laughs> Jesus. Hello. That's saying uh, something. Yeah. Odd reference, but... Um, so, okay, here's the only thing I wanted to say about that movie. The opening scene of that movie, she drives a fuel truck, a fuel tanker truck into Acme Chemicals and it blows up the, the Beirut explosion. Yeah. So what was what was odd about this scene, because obviously the movie came out before any of that, but what was odd about this scene was before the big explosion, what what was there? Fireworks. Really? Yeah. Like, so in the movie, she drives the truck into it and there's like an explosion from the tanker and then a bunch of like random fireworks are going in every direction. I'm like, oh, wait the fuck. This simulation is so bad. Like we catch it all the time, Alan. Dude, somebody else. I text you every week after we do a show. I'm like, hey, this other podcast is talking about the same thing as us, like oddly. Right. Like oddly specifically. Nah. I don't know who this movie was made for. Like, I can't imagine a person liking that movie. Like, I, I just, I left. I was like, nobody would want to watch this. Nobody wants to listen to somebody talk with that voice, and it's going nowhere. I've avoided most of those DC movies. You, uh, when you put it on the sheet, I didn't. Even, I was like, Birds of Prey. I've never even heard of that. But they're, they've all been pretty bad, right? Like, I, I think it came out at the beginning of the pandemic, and people right, saw right. It. So, funny side story. You're talking about. Um, not objectifying um, Margot Robbie, right? Or Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Or Sigourney women Weaver. in general. So I was having a conversation today with somebody who used to work at a bookstore, and she used to run uh, author events. So you know, like when authors have a new book coming out, and they do a tour, and they so they go to bookstores, and people line up around the block to have their book signed, whatever, right? So yeah. she was telling me one of the craziest in-store signings that they had was with Julianne Moore. Oh, okay. so apparently Julianne Moore. Uh, now writes children's novels. I didn't know this. Well, a lot of celebrities right. do. But there's all they they did the event, and there's all these guys showing up with like pictures of her from, you know, because Big, Big Lebowski and what's the other movie she's in with like the porn movie? Mm, I don't remember, remember with the roller skating girl and 
She was in that? She was in Boogie Nights? Yeah, Boogie Nights. Yeah, she was the okay, director's yeah. wife. Oh, and right. she actually does a scene. Oh, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's like, so it's a kid's book being released, and there's all these guys showing up with 8 by 10 glossies of her in the nude, wanting her to sign them that she's having to, like, get out of the way. You know, because all these kindergartners sitting there, and then there's these creepy guys sort of on the outskirts trying to get in. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, just, it was an amusing story. Your friend told you about that? Yeah. Like, your friend was the organizer for it? Yes. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I also watched Winter Soldier for the first time. The first time? <laughs> yeah, I know. Dude, that's a great fucking movie. So, when, when at the time that it came out, I I think I was in the middle of like, I was trying to avoid getting burned by stories that don't finish. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, or maybe this is always happening, but at the at the time, there were a lot of TV shows that were like really taking off and then getting canceled, mm. and I was just like, I'm not going to get into any of this shit. There's not going to like, I don't. You know, I, I saw the Captain America. I didn't I didn't see the vision that Marvel had. Right. Well, a lot of people didn't then. Yeah. So when the sequel to Captain America came out, I was like, well, yeah. I'll wait for a Thor movie. But Like 2013 you know. or something, I think. Yeah. I, 2013? I, I think it was 2012. Okay. It might have been 13. Because, um, well, so after watching Winter Soldier, I started watching all of the other ones that I'd seen, like, congruently mm-hmm. or in time sequential order um and like you know the winter soldier answers a lot of fucking questions that apparently i just assumed the thing yeah it's kind of integral to the rest of the story and i had always thought that uh well first of all i want to say uh shout out to the f and nerds podcast because i i only put this on because on their two episodes ago they were talking about how that that one had like the best hand-to-hand combat in all the marvel movies and i would totally agree so I, i put it on for that but I had always seen Civil War as the libertarian argument episode or, you know, it was the, it was the political one where I was like, oh, my God, they're finally going to deal with this shit. Right. But really, more than anything, I think Winter Soldier dealt with, you know, a lot of a lot, a lot of the really hard, uh, tougher questions that Marvel tried to tackle. And right. I don't want to spoil it. It was fantastic, man. It's great. Absolutely great. Didn't you? Yeah. You said you've seen it like a ton of times. Yeah, well, my son is really into the the Marvel universe, and that's one of his favorite movies in the the MCU. So I've I've seen it lots of times. Yeah, I put it. I put uh, Age of Ultron on afterwards, and like one of the opening scenes, they like oh, uh, not opening scenes. It was when Iron Man puts on the Hulk, the Hulk, Hulk smash. Yeah, yeah, Hulkbuster, mm-hmm. and he like pummels him into a building, <laughs> yeah. and then they just basically recreated nine eleven on camera for like a minute and a half. I was just like. I don't remember this being traumatizing, but like with a lot of time after, I'm still like seeing smoke billowing down streets and people covered in ash. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Wow, and, I didn't take it in that yeah. context at all, dude. It's all I could think of when I saw Just it. Just the imagery. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see yeah. that. I can see that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, F and Nerds podcast, man. It's a, it's great. I, I listen to them as well since you put me onto them. They're, they're entertaining and they're funny and they have good. They have such good insight. Yeah, yeah they really exactly. Do. Yeah, yeah. So. Check it out. They really know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's going to be an awkward turn anyways. You want to go right into the quote and wrap things up? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. Uh, so this week's quote is by John Burroughs, who's an American naturalist and nature essayist. This is straight from the wiki. Active in the U.S. conservation movement, uh, conservationist movement, uh, the first of his essays collections was Wake Robin in 1871. 
To treat your facts with imagination is one thing, but to imagine your facts is another. I like it. I like I like straight from the wiki. I think straight that should be a T-shirt, like straight out of Compton, but straight out of the wiki. Straight from the wiki. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. That'd be good. good. Well, uh, hey, I, I hope I uh, I hope I didn't offend you. I hope I, I oh. hope I didn't provide you with any offense today. <laughs> uh, none taken, Alan. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. God bless. Yeah, you're supposed to say God bless. Yeah, I say God bless. Wow. Stop recording. Now this is podcasting.